Thanks for joining Cornerstone Worship Center's Building a Better Life. For more information about our church, service times, and additional resources, we invite you to check us out on the web at www.abetterlife4.us. God bless you. I want to ask you to take your Bible now and turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Matthew 6, 24. I want to talk to you today about one cause, living for one cause. I know that last year, Pastor Eric preached a a series of messages on the one cause, and we had t-shirts and what have you. But the Lord began to deal with me personally about this, and I, I felt like it was important for us to get refocused for a new year, what our real one cause is. I mean, it's one thing to have a purpose-driven life, but it's another thing to have a life that's dedicated to a cause. Purpose is just a little bit too ethereal, if you ask me, but a cause. I mean, David's purpose for going to the battlefield was to take his brother something to eat. But once he got there, he found a cause, which was bigger than his purpose. Come on, can I have a good amen? And he looked at Goliath and he said, actually looked at his brother, probably pointing at Goliath saying, is there not a cause? Came with a purpose, but I found my cause. You came to church today because, you know, it's just what we do. We're believers. Believers go to church, Right? I mean, believers go to church. It's just what we do. It's all through the scriptures. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Numerous scriptures talking about us coming together in one place. It's what the believers did. In fact, you know, our existence as the body of Christ started with a church service. They were all together in one place, in one accord. Now, it wasn't a normal church because they, they were in one accord. But it, it was, they were in one place, in one accord, Right? And it says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them cloven tongues of fire and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. This is the, the bell ringing moment for the church. And it kind of describes what ought to be happening in church. Church back then was noisy. Church back then was scary. Everybody prides themselves, we have such a nice pastor. We have such a nice little church. Don't you ever go tell anybody that we've got a nice pastor. You tell them that he is as dangerous as as an escapee, okay? (laughs) You tell them, come to our church, man. It's like being on a roller coaster. You just don't know what's going to happen next. Huh? What if they won't come? Well, then Goodbye. We want them to come. We want everybody to come. I'm just kidding. We want everybody to come. But the truth is, the truth is the kind of church that changes things is not a nice church, but a powerful church. Nice churches have never been changing the world. The powerful church is the one that changes the world. And the way the church stays empowered is by staying focused on its mission and its cause. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. 
says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Through some intensive research, I found out what the word mammon means. And it does not just mean money. He would have said money. Mammon, a certain kind of money. A money which is personified. The way that came about was in early days, a couple of thousand years ago and before. They often, they often melted down their gold and silver and turned it into miniature gods that they could carry with them in their travels. And they worshipped their gods. They would pray. They'd sit it up in front of them, and they would look at it, and they would pray. But if they were in a pinch or if they needed money, it was a, it was a currency because it had been weighted. It had been measured out. And they would use it as currency. That specifically was called mammon. Everybody understand this? And, 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 it's, and it's, uh, it has symbols of that when, when Caesar began printing you know, stamping their own money. They put their, they put their face on it because they wanted to be the God of the people. You understand? That's why, that's where that tradition came from, putting leaders' faces on, on money. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Mammon. Mammon. Well, now, believers don't do that. I, I don't think any of you have any golden gods in your pockets. I hope not after the offering went by, at least. You should have done for men now. But, Dan, you put your golden gods in the offering plate. I'm, you, no, you, you, you don't do that. and People probably just don't do that much, and at least not in the audiences I would preach to. But let me tell you what we do do. We make money so important that it guides our lives as though it has a personality and an authority over us. I don't mean us specifically. I mean as people. It is the tendency of people to let money guide their life. And here's how they do it. I, I hope you're strapped in today because I'm, I don't mean to shock you, but I've just got to tell you the truth. I have people tell me that they move from one place to another simply because of money. Now, I would rather move from one place to another to chase my grandbabies. Amen. <laughs> you know, if my kids moved away. I don't know if you're grandparents yet. How many of you are grandparents? You know what I'm talking about. Hang all that other business. If my grandbabies move to a certain town, there's a real good chance I'm going to follow. That's why when I came here, I tried to get them all to follow me. I still got one down in Austin. I just wish he'd come and bring his babies up here. Amen. I mean, he could stay, but I mean, I want the babies. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but... But, but, but folks tend to move from one place to another, leaving their church, leaving their accountability framework, leaving the authority that flows from God to them through their pastor, leaving, leaving everything that's familiar to them simply because there's a better paying job. Wow. Was that crickets? <laughs> simply because there was a better paying job. And I, I, know, I know how this is striking you. Most of you are going... Well, yeah, no. This is allowing money to run your life rather than you running the life of your money. I know some of you are saying, well, that's how I got here. Am I supposed to leave? No, just stay put. <laughs> you didn't have the revelation until this morning. Just stay put. <laughs> it's really not the will of God. It's the will of God for you to dominate where you are. 
to start where you are and dominate right where you are. To not let money be that thing that guides your life. Miss Ann and I decided years and years ago that we really only had room for one God in our life and it had nothing to do with money. But ever since we made that decision, God has made sure we always had plenty of money. Kind of interesting, isn't it? If you make God your money. Jesus said there is not room for me and money or mammon letting, letting money be a person to give you orders. So it's okay to have money. How many of you are thankful you have some money? How many of you are thankful when you have more than you have today? Of course. There's nothing wrong with having money. It's just wrong when money has you. And too much of the time we allow our money to run our lives. Money was supposed to be a servant for you. It's supposed to be a tool for you. Jesus said you cannot serve. Did he, did he say you might not? No, he said you cannot. It's an impossibility. There's an old uh, African proverb that says, He who chases two rats catches none. Oklahoma University, way back in the 80s, sent their football team and their basketball team both to the national championship. First time in the history of the NCAA that the same university had sent both their basketball team and their football team to the, to the national championship. The sad addendum to that story is they lost both games. There's kind of a rule. He who chases two rats catches none. Jesus said you cannot serve God and some other kind of God. You cannot serve God and some other kind of God. Amen. God will see to it that you have more money than you can stand. Once money is not running your life. I was in church one time not too many years ago right here in McKinney. And we had an evangelist in. And the Lord told me to give him a significant offering. I said, uh, okay, but you know Ann's not here. And, if, you know, of course she has the checkbook. And pretty much everything else that's valuable <laughs> in my life. How am I going to give him a significant offering? You know, I had a few bucks in my pocket. Nothing significant. And I'm thinking, I honestly did not know what he was talking about. I was just going, oh, Lord, I, okay, I, what do I do? Uh, uh, I write him an IOU. He said, no, 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 no. I said, well, the only thing I have that's valuable is this ring, my 30-year anniversary ring that Ann gave me about a month ago. My first wife gave me that. Uh, yeah. That Ann gave me about a month ago. And I loved it. It was black onyx and diamonds. I love black onyx and diamonds. It's so manly, you know. Oh, man, it was on gold. It was just a gorgeous ring. Been wanting one for years. It's what I told her I wanted. So she got it for me for my 30th anniversary. And wearing this black onyx. Man, I'll be styling when I'm wearing that. I'm telling you. I love that ring. Just had it about a month, I guess. Here... The Lord said, give him something. I said, Lord, the only thing I have that's of any significance at all is this ring. And he said something like, that's a good idea. <laughs> you know, he had to tell you to do something to make you think it was your idea. Okay. So I gave it to the man. Normally when I used to tell this story, all the women in the audience would go, oh, you gave a, oh. Like I gave him, like I gave her to him or something, you know? No, I kept her. Just gave away the ring. She wasn't even a bit upset. All she's saying, she says, she starts calculating, okay, 
hundred, whatever it was, seven hundred dollars. What would you give the ring? It wasn't a lot, but it's a few hundred bucks. And, and she starts calculating how much of a harvest there is on, on that kind of thing. <laughs> Sit down with her calculator. Okay. Huh? See, if you make room for one God, that one God will get everything to you, hallelujah, that you need. All we do should be for the cause of Christ and his gospel. Because whatever has you dictates your cause. Money ought not to be that thing. Something man-made ought not to be that thing. The only question is, are you faithful to the cause? I'm going to help you focus today on the cause of Christ. Now, all of you preachers, all of you preachers in this room, Bonnie, all you preachers in this room that I've taught how to preach, you forget all that today. You pick it up tomorrow, but today, I just need to have this talk with this congregation about our cause, our one cause. There are a lot of elements in, in meeting the, the conditions of a cause, a lot of things that you do. I mean, you come to church because of the cause. You, 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 you witness to your friends for the cause. You tithe and give offerings for the cause. You, you do all that you do for the cause. And staying focused on the cause. You change diapers at home, ma'am, for the cause. To raise up godly children. That, that, that does not happen automatically. Did you, know, you understand that? Just because you're saved and your husband is saved and you pray in your house. People ask me, how, how do you raise three preachers? How do you raise all of your kids serving God? How did you do that? You must have prayed with them night and day. You must have read the Bible night and day. No, that drives kids crazy. That makes them lunatics. That does not make them live for God. You pray for them. Yeah, look at it. <laughs> Amen, she said. Uh, I got one kid on my side here. <laughs> no. You pray for them at appropriate times. You read the word to them at appropriate times. You have times, you know, for that. But you don't, you don't, try, to make, you don't try to drive them crazy. Uh, are you hearing me? Most people don't want to hear how you really raise godly children. But it has something to do with dancing. <laughs> yeah, them dancing while you're whacking their rear ends. That's, what, that's how you raise godly children. Man, <laughs> They do that highland step, you know. You know that step, amen. If you're faithful to the one cause, then you don't have to get on the bandwagon of the next cause that comes along. Come on, tell two people, get off the bandwagon. Get on to the cause. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 45 says, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Hmm. Sold all that he had to get this one. Listen to me. All Jesus is talking about is prioritizing, narrowing it down to one thing. The Apostle Paul didn't say he had about a million things on his mind. What he said was, this one thing I do. I'm pressing toward the mark, but this one thing I do while I'm forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark. You see, this is what a runner does. A runner gets focused on that finish line. Glory be to God. A, a, a soldier gets focused on his enemy. A bride gets focused on a groom. A groom focused on his bride. 
It's a matter of having the cause burn on the inside of you. Seeing the giant and saying, you're not going to stay there. I know Saul let you stand there for 40 days. I know my big brother who taught me how to fight let you stand there for 40 days. I know all of Israel is standing there letting you stand there and do that for 40 days. But on this day, it's my first day. I'm taking you out. When you're eating up with a cause, these guys are out there, well, it's just my purpose. I'm a soldier. Hiding behind the bushes? Really? You're passionate and eating up with a cause. Mm-hmm. There is no stopping you. A person who's alive on this earth because of a cause. Life is simple when you just get one cause. And you realize that everything that you do Everything you did, did in 09 and everything you're going to do in 10 really revolves around this cause. Christ and his gospel. Christ and his gospel being supported and moved forward because of your life. Well, I, well Pastor, I, I, I'm not a preacher. Thank God. Thank God you're not a preacher. You wouldn't want to be. You have to be called to this. If you're, not, if you're preaching and you're not called to do what I do, then you're an absolute lunatic. There are a lot easier ways to make money. We're all preachers in some sense because everybody needs to hear your testimony. Everybody needs to know what's in your heart, how Jesus, how Jesus touched your life. We're all supposed to be soul winners. But, but you know, you're not, you're not called to, to do what I do. Some of you may be, but... You know, precious few of us. Most of us are not priests in this kingdom. Most of us are kings in this kingdom. Going out to dominate. Glory be to God. Did you hear me? Going out there to dominate. God put Jesus over a kingdom of kings. He's the king of That's not talking about the kings. He's not the king of the kings of this world. That's not what that's talking about. Are you kidding? Those kings are in rebellion for the most part. He's the king of a bunch of kings sitting in this room. His kingdom is full of kings. Glory be to God. Subject to the one king. He meant for you to reign in life. That's what that means. We reign in life. That means we are kings. And that word reign is the very word they use for kings. You're supposed to be reigning in life as royalty. Glory be to God. This is good news. This is good news for somebody today. You thought you were just a poor old beggarly sinner. Well, Lord, we just come before you humbly. Really? You're coming humbly? And you got to tell us all about it. Humility is a condition of the heart. It has nothing to do with how you talk about it. And God knows whether you're humble or not. Can you imagine how terrible that would be to tell God, I'm coming humbly and you're not really humble? You think he doesn't know? I've got a feeling he's got it figured out. So, so that's just all religious talk. It's just all junk that gets into the way, we, the way we talk, the way we approach God. Because we don't have this sense that he made us who we are. He made us who we are. I don't talk this way because I've got some kind of pride working in me. My goodness. You, you, I know who I am in the flesh, but I know who I am in the spirit. And I know what Christ did for me. You want to know what Christ did for you. Because when you know what Christ did for you and who it is that's living on the inside of you, you'll stop that down in the mouth living. You'll stop that down in the mouth talking. You'll stop that chasing money. And money will be chasing you. Get on the cause. The real cause for life. Everybody's going to live for something. Like the great theologian Bob Dylan said, 
you've got to serve somebody. Our government is spending money like prison escapees with a stolen credit card. You cannot look to them for, this, for leadership in this. You cannot look to them to help you. They're not setting a standard for, for any kind of cause. And they all have their own constituents and they all have their own causes. They're not in this for the good of America. They're just not in this for the good of America. And I'm not talking about Republicans and I'm not talking about Democrats. I'm talking about all the rats. Sorry, Kat, I didn't mean to offend you. <laughs> Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. Verse 1. And after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought, brought them up into a high mountain apart. And was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you want us to, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he yet spake... I found this three or four times in the New Testament that while Peter was talking, God had to interrupt him. <laughs> he gets these bright ideas that just sound so stupid to God, apparently. <laughs> Don't look so religious. You've had your own ideas that God didn't think were all that bright. While he yet spake, behold, a, a, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. In other words, no, I don't need another denomination, Peter. I don't need you having some sort of theological idea about this. No, it's not time for you to start a church. Just listen to Jesus. Yeah. Woo! Hear him. Well, my purpose in earth is to... No, no, no! Get a cause, would you? Get a cause! The cause of Christ and what He says and what He wants us to say about Him. Christ and His gospel. Whoo! I keep thinking about John the Baptist. And I know I'm using a lot of biblical illustrations today, but I keep thinking about Brother John the Baptist. Wonderful man of God. One of the finest men that ever lived. Jesus even said so. I think about how John lost his focus. You remember? Matthew chapter 3. I want you to hear these heroic words of John. Matthew chapter 3. He introduces Jesus to the world by saying, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. Now to a Jewish crowd, to a Gentile crowd, you guys might not have caught it. You know, we might, if we'd all been there, we might not have caught what he was saying. But to a Jewish audience, that's big time news. Because what he just said was, in effect, your Passover lamb doesn't take away your sins. The reason you exist, your Passover lamb, the Paschal lamb, that thing that you celebrate every year that you say brought you out of Egypt. That does not take away your sins. This is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin. He's looking right at Jesus when he says it. The Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. 
Oh, 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 what? And John had a revelation. He knew that the Paschal Lamb, the, the Lamb that took away sin, was a Lamb that was supposed to die. It wasn't like he thought Jesus was some sort of military uh, you know, muscle that was going to come in and overthrow the Roman. No, no, no. John was not deluded. Maybe Judas was. Maybe a few others were. John knew. He knew what the Lamb had to do to take away sins. Behold the Lamb of God. I mean, there's never been anybody had a greater revelation than, than, than John. Chapter 3 of Matthew. But just a few months later, in chapter 11 of Matthew, he's in jail. Sends his messengers out. <laughs> you can almost see the teardrops on the ink. <laughs> Ask him if he's the one or are we supposed to look for somebody else? Because I didn't think it's going to turn out like this. <laughs> I promised to just, you know, make my life all about his life. I promised to, to, to make him my cause and decrease and let him increase. But dang, I don't like this. I don't like this. You go ask him if he's the one. They get to Jesus with that note and that message, and they say, uh, John was wandering. <laughs> he said, you go tell them. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead have their, I mean, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the widows have their, their dead restored to them. It just listed all the miracles that he was performing. He said, you go tell John this. And then, and then you tell John this. The guy that gets blessed is the one that doesn't get offended. The guy that gets blessed is the one that doesn't get offended. Come on, I need you to say that with me. Come on, tell somebody this right now. Look at somebody right there close to you and say, the person that gets blessed is the one that doesn't get offended. Ooh. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. The guy that gets blessed, he told one of the greatest men that ever lived, You're offended, and it's going to cut off your blessing. Well, it cut off more than that, didn't it? I know you don't like this look of John the Baptist. That's what the Bible teaches us. He was in that jail. And the anointing, the Old Testament style anointing that was on him lifted that day. And he no longer had the revelation. Now it's one thing for the greatest prophet to ever live to lose his anointing and lose his revelation. But it's another thing for a New Testament believer who has the anointing that abides. 1 John 2, 27 says, You do not have any need that anybody teach you, but the anointing which is in you and abides, stays with you, lives there, taking up its residence on the inside of you. That anointing shall teach you all things. That anointing teaches you all things. And it's another thing for someone who's filled with the Holy Ghost, someone who loves Jesus, someone who's been born again, to lose their focus and get offended. That's just a downright shame. Well, it's taking too long. Taking too long. Yeah, I'm just, you know, getting tired. I've been like my pastor says, you know, Pastor Jim Hester. He said, you think you're tired? He said, man, 
I've been so tired, I feel like I was ironing all day in a pair of high heels and a tight girdle over a low board. <laughs> I said, Pastor, I hope you don't know what that's really like. Uh, really hope so. John forgot his one cause. Lost the purpose, therefore, of his life. I know some of you, like Miss Ann and I, you've been tithing and sowing for years. Some of you have been believing God for a certain kind of harvest. And you've seen harvests here and there, and you've seen things, but you, you're really looking for that, that thing that you know is yours, that big one, that thing that's going to change the world for you. It's real easy to get tired that kind of sowing, where it seems like the sowing is perpetual. You put that seed in the ground, and then along with some seed comes up some weed. Am I talking to anybody here? Huh? How many of you have ever had some weed come up in your field? We love to talk about Matthew 13 and Mark chapter 4, which is the most important parable Jesus ever told. Right? That's what he said. If you don't understand this one, you can't understand anything I teach you. Okay? The sower and the seed. The good soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the wayside soil. But immediately following that in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, why don't we just turn there? Matthew 13, 24, Jesus gave another parable. And in that parable, he said, <laughs> I love this. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a man which sowed good seed in his field. Did he have good seed or not? Good seed in his field. Look at verse 25. Let's read on. Verse 25. I don't have it here in front of me. While men slept, the enemy, his enemy came and sowed tares. Read it. Wait a minute. Jesus said the kingdom is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. While men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and then went his way. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like this. How did the tares get in there? The enemy came. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, don't ever forget. Just because you believe in seed time and harvest, just because you participate in it, that does not keep the devil from doing all he can to, to hurt your harvest. You can't blame God for that. can't even blame yourself for that. There's just an enemy out there that's going to do everything he can. We don't know how he does it. We don't always know how he does it. We just know that somehow the devil comes at times and sows tares. The, Jesus said the kingdom is like this. You can't take that first parable without understanding that second parable. Okay? Great discouragement will come to you if you don't understand that you're fighting not only, not only the conditions of the soil... You're fighting a devil out there who does not want you to succeed. Anybody figure this out yet? How many? If you've been saved three minutes, you've got it figured out probably that there's a devil out there trying to keep you from succeeding. Jesus made his own application of this later on in that chapter that that was really about the harvest of the earth and that there were going to be people right in church. There are going to be people right in church who are not the real thing. That's what he said. There's going to be people in church that are not the real thing. Well, that church hurt me. No, 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 no. The church has never, ever hurt anybody. People who are in the church, sometimes who are mean, self-willed, 
unholy, unthankful. Sometimes those people hurt other folks. But that ain't nobody at Cornerstone Worship Center. The one cause church. Come on, this is a one cause church. We keep talking about the same things over. Holler, how come you keep preaching that faith message? I don't know. I guess it has something to do with me. Keep the fact that I keep reading the Bible. I think that's it. I think that's it. Have my students come up to me. Have you read this book? I said, no. Oh, you've got to read this book. I said, I don't have time. Why? Because I'm too busy reading the Bible. Have you read this book? Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians are really great, man. An amazing thing, it's like a whole different book every time you read it. It has new stuff in there. Because the author stands right on your shoulder and talks to you about it as you read it. He's giving you his own interpretation all the time. You read the Word of God, study the Word of God. He's going he's to show you things. You don't get to know the Bible by reading everybody else's books. I'm going to say it. You knew I was going to say it. I get to talking about this stuff. I can't help but say it. I'm not saying commentaries have no value. Especially if you own a fireplace. Commentaries are good for that. Most of them have no need for it. You have the Word of God. You have the Word of God. Stick to the Word of God. When you stick to the Word of God, you'll stick to your cause. I live for one cause. I live to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ permeates McKinney, Texas, permeates my realm of influence, permeates the whole world to to the best of my ability, that the gospel of Christ makes it to the far reaches of the universe. Glory be to God. Listen, I was raised on a farm in Oklahoma, and I don't know. it's It's not unique to Oklahoma, but it seems to happen there more often. That they put the crop in the ground, and the hailstorm comes, the, uh, the uh, tornado comes, and just tears it apart. It's a sad thing to see a beautiful crop ruined by a tornado and a hailstorm. But in Oklahoma, it happens. I know, you know. I mean, <laughs> you, oh, Okies are some of the godless people, though. We've got great universities of, of, of Christendom there. We've we got, we got great churches in, in Oklahoma. Great people in Oklahoma. I'm telling you. Praise God. They were glad that Christ came to their realm where they, where they could stop eating that raw buffalo heart. I mean, they were just excited about it. You know, when an Indian kills a buffalo, you've got to eat his heart raw. They were, they were thankful. And I'm part American Indian. Born and raised in Oklahoma. We got to farming up there, and I noticed something about Oklahoma farmers. When that storm would come through there and just tear the crop all to pieces, they didn't go, oh, man, God hates farmers too. I thought he only hated trailer parks, but now he hates farmers too. <laughs> no, they didn't talk like that. You know, all they started to do, they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't think, well, that's it. That, you ruined that crop. That's it. That, I'm never going to sow again. No, they didn't talk like that. You know what the farmer did? Huh? He got his checkbook out, went down and bought some more seed and got ready to plant next year. And if it was soon enough, he'd plant that year. Got a long growing season up there. I mean, they, they, they did their best to keep that seed in the ground. It didn't matter how many times it got ruined. It didn't matter how many weeds grew. No farmer in his right mind ever walked out there and said, this thing's got weeds in it. That's it. I'm selling. No. I tried that giving. Th- no, they don't do that. They just keep sowing. They just keep sowing. 
In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening withhold not your hand. Because you see, you know, he has a cause. This is not just something he's hoping for. This man, his whole cause in life is to get that crop up and to get it harvested and sold. You have a cause. You don't think about, what well, you know, Miss Ann and I, we, you know, we had to make a decision about whether or not we were coming to church today. Yeah, we did. We had to make a decision about whether or not we were coming to church today. Yeah, we made that decision, I think, 35 years ago that we were coming to church today. You do have to make a decision, but don't wait till Sunday morning to make it. Because if you wait till Sunday morning to make it, you don't know your purpose, and you certainly don't know what the cause is. When you live for a cause, you make up your mind a long time. You make up your mind, and that is settled forever. Yeah. I'm not asking you to make New Year's resolutions unless you want to. I think they're okay. But don't make one. Don't say, all right, this year I'm going to lose weight. <laughs> You're going to lose weight. Are you going to trim your fingernails? <laughs> Get a haircut? Derek's going to get a haircut and lose weight. I mean, that qualifies, doesn't it? No, no, no. If you're going to make one, make one that you can do. Don't say, all right, I'm going to lose weight this year. I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose 100 pounds. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're probably going to lose 10 or 15 or 20, maybe 30. You know, start there. If you want to lose weight, set it. Be specific about it. You know, if you're going to pray for Pastor John and Miss Ann, pray for us to have clear direction concerning this building and all the ins and outs of how we're dealing with the city. Pray for us specifically about things. Don't just say, oh, God, bless Pastor John and all the missionaries in the whole wide world. That's, you know, that's, that's not specific enough. It won't go anywhere. Okay? What is your cause in life? Everything you do, changing diapers, Mopping a floor, sitting at a computer, driving a truck, teaching a room full of kids. I don't know what all the folks here do. A housing inspector for the city of Frisco right there. Postal inspector here. You know, what, what do we, what do you do? Construction, the guy that builds houses and builds everything. Gary builds everything. Huh? Yeah, people, you, well, whatever it is you do as a king, you do this as unto the Lord. Knowing that everything that you do is focused on the cause of Christ and his message. Come on, let's shout it out together. We're a one cause church. They don't get offended. They just sow some more. You don't remember the jack of all trades. You remember the specialist. You remember Orville Redenbacher. We do one thing and we do it well, First John 3, 8 said it like this. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. His purpose was to destroy the works of the devil, but his cause was you. His purpose was to destroy the works of the devil, but his cause was you. Come on. Look at somebody again. Tell them, he was thinking about you.
Tell somebody else. He was th- Why don't you tell five people right here? He was thinking about you. He was thinking about you. He was thinking about you. I said he was thinking about you. He's thinking about you. He was thinking about you. His purpose was to destroy the works of the devil, but his cause was you. Let's bow our heads and pray. Once again, thanks for joining Cornerstone Worship Center's Building a Better Life. We'd like to invite you to one of our services in McKinney, Garland, or Little Elm. And for more information about those service times and locations, you can check us out on the web at www.abetterlifeforus. We hope you enjoyed this. God bless you.